Welcome to the intro. I'm Josh Anderson. Hey, I'm Bob Galen. And we have a, no, we always have a good one for you. So we have a good one for you today. The best. Actually, this is, well, let's tease them. Can we tease them? Sure. Um, this is a Twitter uh, question mm-hmm. related to a recent episode, mm-hmm. and we have a follow-up. So this is like a, a episode follow-up yeah. based on and customer it, feedback. Yeah. Man, gosh. My, it's like we practice what we preach. My God, are we agile. <laughs> my God, I feel I feel the agility seeping out of my pores. That looks awful. That's, that is gross. That is gross. Yeah. Okay. Let's. All right. Let's get Let's in. move on to where. Bob's so the gonna be. so the intro. I'm going to be. So Josh and I are going to be. It, you'll find it out afterwards. But Josh and I are going to hit Ohio, the mm-hmm. home the home state of my. Yeah. Yes, isn't yeah. it? You were born. Were you that's, born in that's Ohio? Where I was born there. Yes. You were born, and we're going. We're going to Columbus. We're going. To, we're taking the Medicast on the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, you will not. We will be there and gone by the time you hear this episode. But. Aren't we recording an episode there? I am waiting for confirmation that they oh, are the, recording. So I, they said it was going to be recorded and we can use it. And I just am like uh, triple confirming. So I'm waiting better. to hear back. All right. Yeah. So everyone, keep your fingers crossed. Uh, we will have a post Columbus, Ohio, the Buckeyes. Yes. No, no, no. No, you're not a Buckeye. No, I am not did a I Buckeye. Did I just step in? It did. I stepped in Big time. Bu- Pile or something. <laughs> yeah. All right, forget the bus. <laughs> to, to heck with the Buckeyes. Yeah. Uh, but we're in Columbus, Ohio, and we're doing that. Then the following week or uh, the week after, the uh, first week in June, I'm going to be in Vegas at the Agile Dev DevOps Conference. Is this your first conference as the program chair? This is my first official conference nice. as the program chair. I am super freaking busy. I've got workshops, a cool. talk. Exciting. A leadership summit. People are bailing, so I'm like scrambling at the last minute. Like speakers are sort of uh, speaker conflicts, and we're trying to plug people mm. in, and it's it's driving me crazy. So, but it's going to be a good week in Vegas, uh, and then where else? Then the week after, I'm going to Stuttgart. Wow, Let me say, Stuttgart. Yes, I. And I hope the Stuttgartians are like ready for me because I hope so for their sake. For their sake, it's going to be a bumpy ride. Uh, yeah, there's something there called Scrum Day, mm-hmm. and I was invited to do a keynote. And fingers crossed, a cow workshop out cool. there. Oh, I'm I'm like jazzed. It's and apparently the community there is that the the guys that invited me are pretty cool, and I'm looking forward to the community. Out All right, there. so you've got multiple opportunities yep. to see. But that's if just, not both, at least half of the Medicast absolutely. out and now, about. But beyond that, we need to talk about how folks can support. Right. So normally this is where we talk about sponsors. And we're going to change it up. We're going to talk about the existing sponsors we have. So we have a Patreon page where listeners can essentially donate money to us. So there are a handful of folks out there that have done that. So number one, thank you, thank you, thank you. Because that... That means a lot to us in that you're saying, hey, listen, I'm getting value from this, and thank you for doing this. So here's a little bit for you to pay those hosting fees and everything else you got to do to get this shipped off and ready to us for us to hear a couple times a month. So that's very important, and I can't imagine anything that means more to us other than like a firm handshake of saying – Whenever they see us, like, thanks. Like, this makes a difference. You might not be able to see us at a conference, but you can go to Patreon and let us know. Tell us. Say, hey, here's a couple bucks. Thanks for this. So go to the Patreon. That helps us help you and help others 
if you've listened at all to the Metacast, you know we're about giving uh, back mm-hmm. and about community uh, value um, in our hearts. Uh, it's it's something in our hearts that that's that's what drives us. Uh, but it helps for folks to support us. It helps in a variety of ways. I mean, it helps monetarily. It helps uh, motivationally. It helps us emotionally, knowing that folks are behind us and we're adding value. Uh, it there's that there's stopping us. We get more. There's looking at our listen rates. Mm-hmm. They're increasing. They've doubled. They, they are uh, going up like crazy. They're going and up. And that like, wouldn't happen without everyone else out yeah. there talking about it. And so people talking about us, supporting us on Patreon, uh, passing it to your neighbors. There's a lot of stuff. I'm getting. You know, it's conference season, mm-hmm. and I continue to get people. Uh, I was at uh, Agile Cincy, mm-hmm. and. I, I mean, even what I would call like agile coaches. So folks who are sort of similar to us in the community, you know, folks who've been doing it a while mm-hmm. come and they're like Metacast. I get so much and I'm like, man, you, you know, thank you for that. But also Patreon. I, now I have Patreon. It's right. You know, <laughs> yeah. throw a little of those bucks our yeah. way, but they were out there giving coaching advice. So it's at all levels. I think, I think we resonate at all levels of mm-hmm. coaches, of practitioners, et cetera, which is what we want. Mm-hmm. So Patreon page, go there, get the word out, uh, rate us, uh, do whatever it can make the Metacast, uh, your your podcast, yeah. your agile your agile reference. We were just I just saw something where we were ranked like number right below Ryan's. Did you see did mm-hmm. you see that? Number what? two. Yeah. By a gentleman in did you notice he was from Germany? I did. So the this German guy um is like rating Agile Podcasts and Agile for Humans was one mm-hmm. and we came in number two. Mm-hmm. And that's just that's our global reach. So That's enough, exciting. it's it's very exciting, and you're part of it. So come on down and be part of the Metacast. Get in the game with us. So now, without further ado, <laughs> onto the episode. Onto the episode. <laughs> Enjoy it. Welcome to the Metacast. I'm Bob Galen. And I'm Josh Anderson. I'm excited, guys. This is going to be a good one. <laughs> they're, Josh, they're always good. <laughs> what the hell was that? We're, we're getting, Metacasters, we're getting some mental transference. Oh. I don't know. I wish Boy. I I wish I could switch with Josh. He's he's younger than I am. I could I could probably feel better than I do <laughs> under normal conditions. I don't want your knees. Even I want to. Give, I'd yeah. love to give you my knees. Yeah. Um. Let's go. Yeah. Sorry. So yeah, we're it's Bob's on fire yeah. already today. So welcome. He's he claims he's going to be the serious one. Can you say the damn line? You said it, so we're good. Are we good? Are we yeah, on? No, we're rocking and rolling. Are we rocking? Yeah. All right then. All right. So this is the topic today comes as a request via Twitter from Paul. Paul, thank you. Absolutely. Thank you very much for that. Because Always you know what love. happens. You know what happens, Paul? We run out. Of, well, that's not true. But We've never. Pretend, run out. I know. I know. But let's pretend we run out of stuff to talk about. Particularly me. Yeah. And Paul, okay. you Paul, you primed the pump. So exactly. thank you. So. Paul's asking about estimating. So it, it 
comes back from the original no estimates episode we had a few not too episodes long ago. back, right? So not too long ago, but this centers around, can you estimate too far in the future and what kind of waste is generated or when does estimation become waste because there's so much churn? Then he asked some questions around the type of culture you need to support that type of estimation around trust and support and everything that goes along with that. So we'll first talk about where is the the horizon of good estimation, right? At some point, it's just too far out in the future and it changes too much and you're wasting time and energy, right? Okay. Or do you or do you think you just estimate five years from now? No, no. I, you went to the deep end. Well, and, and you, I, know you were I giving me that blank look. And you know I won't agree. You know what, you know what I was thinking of? What? And you're going to regret Ooh. that smart, smarty pants, snarky comment. Mm-hmm. I was thinking of safe. I'm sure you were. I was. I was thinking of the scaled agile framework, mm-hmm. which I'm so fond of. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking multi-levels. And the reason my little eyes were like out into the distance is I was thinking at the portfolio level. Oh, were you? Yeah. Now, it wasn't a five-year portfolio. What does that mean? Right? That's such a big, ambiguous word. So let's start. So why don't we set the levels up before okay. you start right. nitpicking on my carcass? I'm just trying to help the listeners get to okay. clarity, Bob. So, so I'm, all right, let's start. Portfolio, portfolio planning, epics, mm-hmm. very large-scale epics that cross quarterly release boundaries right. uh, that maybe engage multiple teams. How no, far multiple out? Multiple trains. How far out? Let's not go there yet. Let's nope. not go there yet. Let's okay. talk about the all levels. Right. Okay. So there's that level. Sort of business. This is mm-hmm. where the C level folks stay, right? This is where we communicate to the board. Then I was thinking sort of themes below the epics, mm-hmm. uh, program level. I'm using safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not, per- I'm not supporting safe. I'm just using it as a, as a reference, model. right? Sort yep. of as a reference yep. model. So program things, uh, where we do multi train planning. This mm-hmm. is maybe where we communicate roadmaps to clients, right? We start, we start communicating quarterly roadmaps to clients. Uh, we could have a horizon. Now, the horizon chunk is in trains, right? So so has, the question is, how many trains do we go out, right, quarterly? The release trains are typically quarterly. Okay. So then I, then I think of trains themselves. So we're estimating specific trains, and we're doing stories, and we're doing points and stories in that. And then when people do PI planning, they break things down into stories and uh, specific points at a team level. So now we're down at the story level. And then each sprint in a train, people are doing tasking, right? Mm-hmm. So they're estimating tasks. So there's this like hierarchical view. I don't know if it's useful, but I was, that's what I was thinking about. Right. So for estimates, I think it would be useful to talk about like the look ahead, maybe at each one of those levels. The other thing is the granularity becomes important, mm-hmm. right? The granularity of the estimate. Where do you want to start? The top? Bottom, middle. Uh, let's start at the bottom because that's where people spend most of their time. That's a good point. And then layer on top of that. Got it. The approach that we took at the dude and what we eventually labeled the Agile Donut was we just did Scrum over and over at three different levels, similar to the same thing that you're talking about. So Bob and I are a little bit different on sprint estimation. Bob likes tasks. I don't like tasks. Well, you warmed up once. I think we, we have do, historical yeah. Metacast episode. Well, I don't yeah, think we you do. totally went there. No, I would never totally agree with but you. But you warmed you warmed to the the notion, I think. And now I'm not. I'm not. To to me, the key difference is we don't estimate tasks in our sprint planning. Okay. 
So we discuss tasks once a story is picked up. We have a story kickoff, but we don't, as a team, estimate below the story level. So, but, but when you pick a story up, you explode tasks from it at a team level. Uh, loosely, loosely, yeah. loosely, loosely. Okay. We don't we don't usually create tasks in Jira or anything like that that are a child of that story. Okay, all right. Um, but our stories are usually pretty small, so it doesn't really lend it to itself very well. So are so the stories everybody consi- are the stories consistently? No, important point. Are they mm-hmm. consistently sized at the same level, roughly? Roughly, yeah. Like so, so, so if it's a thirteen or higher, we break it apart. No, no, no. I mean, is everything roughly a five? So you sort of you challenge yeah, yourself. We're to, to usually hit a between. Five. Like two threes and fives are pretty much where we spend most of our time. At eight's pretty rare. A thirteen's even more rare, and thirteen usually gets blown up into smaller pieces. So I can see if you. One of the things is if you keep the stories roughly at the same size, and mm-hmm. we have decomposition control, right? Yeah. Uh, then, then that might lessen the need for tasking, right? Because you get really good at saying this is a five, and it has this much right. UI work and this much back end work, or something like that, right? So then, so everybody understands how to do that. You've done it a bunch. If you need some more information, we have old episodes that you can go back around stories and tasks and everything. So you can find that. So the planning the horizon thing, for you. Right. So I'll talk the about story. the planning horizon for sprint planning. How many sprints worth of refined stories do well, you feel comfortable with? So I'm trying to get to his so question be, of like, no, no, what's be, that horizon to where you're like, okay, it's wasteful for us to try we go and plan there, that out. At the sprint level and the task estimation, right? You, your horizon is the story. My, my hori- unit is the story. Story. My unit is the, the body of work that fits into a sprint. I still to this day like to task out mm-hmm. a, the, the set of stories that fill the velocity for a team. So the team can visualize that. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're like, Again, look ahead for you yeah. is the story. Look ahead for me at the sprint level is the body of work for the sprint. Stop well, but tasking. So don't task out in the next sprint. Only task out in sprint planning. Okay. So as part of grooming, don't task. Oh, you're going even lower. Right, don't task. So you're saying lower level than sprint, but from an estimation of a story, you're saying in preparation for a sprint – no, no, I'm going to estimate all of the tasks no, that need as, to get done. As part of sprint planning, yeah. we estimate if the team has, let's say their velocity is 10 stories, mm-hmm. in sprint planning, they will task out 10 stories. Okay. And that's it. That's all the farther they'll go. Right. You wouldn't go even that far. You would, exactly. That's, right. I'm not I, arguing. I got you. understand completely. Okay. okay. So now let's bump up. So then at the at the sprint level, what I sleep better with is when I know that I have three-ish sprints worth of work refined and ready to go. So this is this is story-pointed stories in the backlog, right. three-sized, okay. understood completely. If we needed to pull it in, we could. Uh, so they were spiked. If you needed a spike, you would have done a mm-hmm. – you would do the spike to sort of have those in the bag. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm with you. Again, no tasking at right. this level at all. Right. Now, some people do. Some people – actually sprinkle like if they're using a tool i see an antipattern where people will if they have jira and they mm-hmm. have task fields they'll sort of as part of their grooming they'll fill in QA yeah. time and stuff right. and yeah. it really annoys me when they do that mm-hmm. uh so i'm not it's sprint planning is the task now we're at stories i think it varies i i would i my usual recommendation is like two to three sprints yeah. i could say no more than four yeah I, no i don't i start feeling uncomfortable uh, at four, look ahead at at the sprints, like mm-hmm. groomed stories in the sprint. 
Uh, even, even then, uh, let's say like having all of the ready, like having this notion of readiness, mm-hmm. which is the spikes. I, I think it might be premature to spike like now for the fourth sprint. Agreed. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's the spike a look ahead. I don't know if I would go for a sprint. So yeah. like two to three. Right. It, and to me, that's where waste starts to come in because you're going to have a little churn. You're going to have some discoveries. Um, and I found that if you have less than that, then you end up with too much just in time planning. The discovery kills you often, right? Yeah. Like the look ahead, like you, you know, you, it's waste. Right. You know, you take, you go down a path and then in the next sprint, you're like, Oh crap. I, I wish I had known that. Yeah. And, and, and what's happened with teams that I've seen that can maintain that three ish sprints worth of work ready to go is that planning becomes super simple. Planning is, it is, you and I, 30 minutes. We're like an old we, married couple. You know that? We it's, know what we can do. We've seen the story yeah. five, six, seven times. We know what it is. Grab it. Let's go. So that's my measure as well. I tell people if they have, if sprint planning sucks, mm-hmm. you haven't done enough look ahead. Right. And if sprint planning is really smooth, almost it's just, it just flows mm-hmm. and it's quick. Then you've done the right amount right. of look ahead, right? There's yeah. the balance between the and two. And to me, that's always come at that three sprint level. Yeah. The teams I've coached that struggle aren't there. The teams that are just off and rolling and super right. happy and planning is a no-brainer and they knock it out in 30 minutes, that's because they've done the hard work of doing the refinement to get to that three-ish sprints worth of work. So let's go back just a second real right. quickly. When I say task decomposition, um, the estimates to me would be in hours. Mm-hmm. When we say uh, sprint-level decomposition, to me it's story points. And typically, I'm looking at a Fibonacci. So I'm looking yep, at something here. at relative Fibonacci, yep. which gives you multiple choices. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, cool. So let's bump up a level. Right. So the next level for us has been what we historically called PSI planning, which we stole from SAFE. Right. The one alteration that we made in diverging from SAFE is that I was uncomfortable with the quarter's worth work of planning and then walk away from it. I felt that there was too much change and too much churn that by the time you get four sprints in, you're looking at this scratch your head like, this isn't really the thing we should be doing. So we update that plan every month. So we just do it again. That's our planning. So we do a regular recurring PSI planning and the goal for us is to forecast out six sprints worth of work, which is about a quarter. So we don't, so this is your rolling. We've talked historically about this. This is rolling wave. Mm -hmm. So the reason you went to rolling wave was you, we have a one shot planning event for Mm -hmm. four to six sprints Yeah, and it was too volatile. Correct. Right. And then you get in turbulence and then you have to replan or something. And it became wasteful. Right. So that planning that, and if you go buy the books from safe, that's like a two day event. And I was really concerned about the potential for that turning into waste really quickly yep. because of the volatility of the plans that we had. And we just decided to roll with it, accept, accept the way things are, but let's alter the process to support that. And eventually we might get to the point to where we could do it. But <clears throat> we found that the repetition and cadence of doing it made us better at it instead of doing right. it four times a year and kind of getting okay with it and saying, well, how do we do this? How do we make it better? What are the things we want to do? We did it 12 times. So we had three times as many opportunities so, to get so better at it. So your replanning interval was two sprints like every four weeks. Right. Yep. Okay. So 
So in a, if you had a six week train, then you would be doing that three times and you just continuously do. So, so at the yeah. end of one train in the beginning of the next, it's essentially you just keep doing rope. Yeah. So there's no event. It's just every two, every right. two sprints. We plan ahead. update the forecast and you go two more sprints ahead yep. and then you go two more sprints ahead right. and you go two. Okay. All right. Now the granularity, what's the estimation? Fibonacci? No, we, we, we end up what we do, um, is we plan the boulders. So we plan the boulders when, and we've talked about this before in previous episodes about planning a sprint. You plan the boulders. Those are the things that are going to be your sprint goals that you're going to demo and spend a lot of time on. There's always going to be the pebbles and the rocks and the sand that you sprinkle in there, but doing the effort to plan every minute story in there when we were doing 20 stories a sprint, it, it just wasn't worth it. But we talked about the big things that you might put on release notes right. or customer announcements and put those on there and plan that out. And then we would sprinkle in the stuff because it was honestly less important, but it was good Right. filler to get us packed and ready to go. We didn't size them. We didn't do anything. So you just, had no units. No. It, what it was was the team standing back, being comfortable, and doing a fist of five, saying, yeah, this 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 feels right. This feels good. So it wasn't a unit. It was just how much do we think we can pack in these sprints? And at first, teams had no freaking clue, right? So they were just guessing. But because they did it often – they got better at it and they realized what their capacity was. So they were just doing rough sort of sizing or like bagging of, you know, rocks that yeah. could fit into a, re- right. a release, a quarter. Right. Okay. And, and, and initially there was a lot of churn and fear and holy cow, am I going to get held to this? But as they saw and we let it evolve, they got more comfortable because they knew, Hey, I'm going to update this in two weeks or in, four weeks, right? So it's not this heavy weight of, I've got to get this absolutely perfect, right? People want it to be right because that's right. Because we're proud of our work, right. but there's also less fear because you're going to learn more and you're going to update it. So I've done it. I've done it differently, you know, in places personally. And then in my coaching where we use t-shirt sizing, mm-hmm. So we try to simplify the units. So move from Fibonacci to a relative, you know, mm-hmm. you get three choices or right. four choices. So t-shirt sizing, small, medium, large. Uh, you're still, you're still mapping them to your velocity. Mm-hmm. So let's say we have a quarterly release. So we have a hundred points, 25 points for two week sprints, a mm-hmm. hundred points. We would, we would use t-shirt sizing to size things that would fit into the next release and the next release. Um, right. we would, not go down to one and two and three point things. Mm-hmm. So you'd stay at like twenties. Right. So you know? stay with the boulders. So you stay with the boulders. It would all, it would be a boulder exercise. Mm-hmm. Uh, the look ahead was typically like the next release. So we would be looking to the next one. In some cases, maybe the next one. So you'd be looking like what three quarters ahead. So mm-hmm. current release, uh, next release at t-shirt sizing. You're trying to get ready. Uh, and then maybe looking ahead to the next release. If there were things that were connected, right? If there mm-hmm. was something we could deliver part of it in this one, then we would deliver part of it in the next one. What did that, what did those parts roughly look like? Was it 20%, 40%, uh, 40% or something mm-hmm. like that? Um, and, and so that was the units. That was the look ahead. Uh, to me, it was like program level, train level. Uh, we use train level, uh, when we were estimating things, we would talk, we would also use language like, uh, how many, um, how many teams, 
mm-hmm. would work. So sprints and teams. So part of the language beyond t-shirt sizing was we think this would take three teams. So trains have multiple teams, right? Typically, if you're using release trains, you're mm-hmm. in a scaled model. So we would have language like, oh, we think this is two to three teams for two to three sprints, which would sort of get that boulder into uh, into the size, you know, our capacity for the sprint, mm-hmm. uh, almost in parallel with the points, almost in parallel with the T-shirt sizing. We would sort of, which would get us to its full now, right? We would sort of use T-shirt sizing and velocity, but we would also sort of think in terms of teams. Like skill sets came into play. Mm-hmm. Not everyone is interchangeable. So we might say, you know what? We're going to consume our front-end, two front-end teams with this, and we only, and we only have three front-end teams. So we would t- we would talk in terms of like our skill capacity as mm-hmm. well, and that was it. Okay, so that so that, look ahead to answer that, this so estimating in higher units. Uh, the look ahead was two to three releases, depending on so two to three. Right, quarters. so you and I are quite different in this middle layer. Yeah, I stop at six sprints, and quite often many of our teams were unable to confidently forecast out six sprints. Yeah. It was always four. Four was never a problem. Five would start to get what I would call the fog. So we always had this term about the fog. Of the deeper in the fog right. you go, the harder it right. is to see things. So we would say, okay, yeah, that's six prints out. That's pretty deep in the fog. There's a couple stories out there. We're unsure as we walk deeper into that fog how what that's going to look like and the things that we're going to stub our toe on as we get there. But the power for me of doing – that six weeks forecast every, sorry, six sprint forecast every two sprints was that it enabled the teams to have a little mini refinement session along the way. And the first time they saw those stories wasn't in refinement for a sprint. It was as it was that six sprint out. So they started to, to break it down and discuss it and figure out what it is. So I found tremendous value. And to me, that's always been the, what I call the connective tissue between a roadmap that's a year plus long and the sprint backlog. And often those sit right next to each other and there's nothing that's doing the translation between the two and they just kind of appear and teams have to scramble and figure things out. So let me, that's why I brought in safe. Let me describe. So what I was just describing was not just, was not the entire team. Mm-hmm. So there's so safe PI planning classically you bring features into the team that have been roughly sized mm-hmm. based on velocity or sampling an architect or a manager. Mm-hmm. So the bags have been filled by not the entire team. Mm-hmm. That's called them features. And so you go into PI planning with features and you come out of PI planning with the team decomposing those features into stories mm-hmm. and the team. So it's sort of a, a gross or a coarse uh, refinement exercise mm-hmm. as well. And the team then, based on that understanding, that's why it takes two days, mm-hmm. they they then can commit to that change. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So so there's almost PI planning is the line, right? right? The transition line from the them, us, managers like us trying mm-hmm. to do road mapping uh, to the degree that the business is looking for look ahead and looking for some course level guidance. And then the PI is the point where the team drills into the quarter, does the decomposition, does the estimation mm-hmm. and can commit to that body mm-hmm. of work. Uh, that's, and then it's theirs. And then we only recommit. So those upper level roadmaps are not truly committed to they're in there. So the three quarterly releases are not commitments, right? 
that first release, when the team exits PI planning and says, we can do this amount of stuff, that's when the, it, the commitment hits mm-hmm. on the upper side. So I was, I was trying to describe that layer right above the transition. Okay, I got you. Right. And then, then when I say portfolio, I think there's a layer above that mm-hmm. where we're just, this is the board. This is the business. This is ROI calculations. This is, is it worth, let's, let's talk to Josh. So there, so, there's technically two more levels as far as I'm concerned. The next level for us is at a product level. We had leaders within that product forecast out the next year worth by quarter. Okay. Using t-shirt sizes, small, medium, large. Okay. Laying out epics, architectural epics, product epics, any other things like that. And we would update that once a month as well. So okay. That would happen a week or so before the PSI planning. So we would gather in a room. At first, it was just me and the VP of product. And then we started to get uncomfortable because these yep. teams were growing. We just yep. needed some more brains in there. And it was going faster and bigger than it was when it was just the two of us. And it got to, per product, there were about 8 to 10 people in there talking through what this is, what it isn't, getting to a small, medium, a large, going from there. And then that would be the thing that feeds into that PSI. Again, with my experience, about a year out was what made sense. Beyond that, there was so much churn from the business on what they were asking us for um, that it wasn't worth a whole lot going beyond that. So to go back to Paul's question, from my perspective, at the product roadmap level, one year, at the PSI level, one quarter, and at the sprint, three three sprints worth of work. And I'd say at the portfolio level, if we even bump up another level where we're doing, right. you're doing products, maybe there's technical feasibility. Right. Well, to me, you're going across products. Across so product. you have a whole portfolio. You've got 10 different products, and they interact with each other. And So what you described as what you just described to me, it's like if you have a singular product, then you're doing that. If mm-hmm. you have multiple products, to me, all of that is portfolio level or business level analysis. Now, very often, architect, and this is probably your head as well, because you you have multiple perspectives mm-hmm. at the dude, for example. But like technical evaluation, like you may have an architect up there, right? Yep, looking like, what definitely. is the technical feasibility versus what is the customer business feasibility mm-hmm. or value of this thing? But you're merging those two things together. So, uh, so above that, before things even became epics, there was is should be a steering committee evaluating those things of what are the initiatives? What are the things we as a business want to do that have been validated with customers? We know they'll pay this much. We know these are the things they care about us building. We know if we do this and take it to market, we will get an ROI. Then that feeds into, and those have a priority and those have right, a, right. and those have a, right. a list of things that the product team pulls from. Says, okay, so you're the like next sa- most important thing. I mean, you're not using the terminology, but you're very safe added yeah. a, a value stream. Right. So they added like a fourth level not that long mm-hmm. ago. Uh, so there's portfolio, then there's value stream. They even have the notion of a value stream engineer. Right. So portfolio is that highest level view. Value streams are sort of the product, either singular products, multiple products mm-hmm. in a value. It could be like Toyota has a value stream versus Lexus right. with multiple vehicles in it. Uh, and then it gets down to the program. 
So one year is sort of the max. I would agree with one year look ahead mm-hmm. up there. So sort of 12 to 18 months yeah. is the norm up yeah, there. Maybe agreed. that really higher level sort of the executive team is looking maybe 12 to 18 months out max. And I'm okay with the 18, but just recognizing that it's pretty foggy out there. That things are going to change, and you're going to learn, and you're going to adjust. Well, even at the level, I mean, you're going to learn from the market. You're going to learn mm-hmm. from your team's capacity as well, right? right? Their capability to deliver. So there's a there's sort of 360 degree learning going mm-hmm. on. Um, the one of the things I wanted to talk about, it, and I want to bring it back to trust, maybe, uh, is so to me the estimation. It's it's look ahead is important, but it's just I want to have the conversations. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm going to, the thing for me is not the units. We, we, the reason I think the units change as you go up is to make people comfortable. Mm-hmm. The units become less and less real or they right. become more and more abstract. Mm-hmm. T-shirt sizes are less abstract than Fibonacci. The reason I do that is to get people just like I, I was just in California doing some coaching and we did release planning with gut feel. Mm-hmm. So we were just filling sprints and I'm like, when you feel that a sprint is full, use gut feel. Uh, so to me, that's even above, then we did some t-shirt sizing, right? but I was just looking at gut feel and gut feel actually turned out for them to be relatively, we were doing real work for them. It right. wasn't a hypothetical. Mm-hmm. Their gut feel was pretty good. Uh, they didn't make a lot of changes once we started doing that, but I want to lay things out. What I was looking for is strategy. I was looking for things like the conversations around. So to me, the estimates uh, at all the levels, one of the, we, we talk about look ahead. One of the valuable parts of look ahead is drive the discussions mm-hmm. is what I'm saying. So we get caught up. Oh, we're trying to, we're trying to estimate 12 months in advance or 18 months. Mm-hmm. Well, to your point, trust that it's very high level of trust that it's ambiguous, but I want to sort out those conversations, yeah. right? So, so don't get hung up on the freaking numbers. I mean, the numbers are valid, but get hung up at every level of talking about what's most important. What is the feasibility? What are the risks, right? What are the competing customers? What are the competing roadmaps? Things like that. And very often we don't do that. I mean, the numbers actually t- will drive that out. Do you ever notice the numbers dr- in Fibonacci? Mm-hmm. The numbers will drive this meaty conversation at the team yeah. level. Yeah, right? we actually had a discussion about not sizing things last week. And I threw the idea out there. The team like fell over because somebody had that idea at lunch. And one of the senior guys is like, don't even mention that to Josh. He'll flip his lid, you know? And then I threw it out in the meeting and they all were like flabbergasted. But I said, we're moving towards Kanban. So the points don't really drive a lot of what we do, but I was unwilling to give up on the discussions that were generated by the numbers of having you being forced to throw out a number and then stand behind it and have a good, honest discussion with your teammates and say, well, actually I think it's only a two because there's this thing we did last spring and blah, blah, blah. And you get there like, Oh crap, you're right. Okay. Yeah, it is a two, but that takes tremendous trust and a really strong culture across every level to know and understand that. So, so and not, many and people not commit to it. Yeah, right? exactly. Not commit externally. Right. Not get too rambunctious. Not set up your bonus. If you're the CEO, set up your bonus based on those 12 month discussions, mm-hmm. but have them as we, we were just talking, you know what? I would be fine. I had this internal brain thing that I would be fine if we threw the numbers out. Actually, I'm a numbers guy. That's what we talked about. Yeah. I'm a numbers guy. I would be okay if we, as long as we get the juicy discussion that the numbers drive, 
I would be okay if we then somehow could magically erase him from our brains. And, and, and we just kept the discussion. And I told the team I felt bad. I said, I feel bad saying we need to keep the numbers because to me that sounds like I don't trust you guys to have the discussions, to drive the discussions that are needed, that the numbers are the only thing that get us there. But the team was like, you know, I, you know, it's okay, right? Those numbers force us to have a discussion. Well, if they, and the team and was they, cool and they with trust it. you, yeah. right? If you were not trustworthy, then it would be right. And this kind of blends into the trust part of of this, Paul's question, yeah, right. I think it's like the numbers relate to you know, can the leaders mm-hmm. be trusted to handle the numbers effectively? Do they understand the scenario? Mm-hmm. You know, is it about the numbers? Is it about the estimates? Or is it about something more? Right. And what do you value? I value the something more, mm-hmm. right? I like the numbers. They're good velocity, et cetera. But push comes to shove. If I had to choose oh, yeah, numbers over discussion, it's discussion, mm-hmm. right? Uh, hands yeah, down. Without a doubt. I don't care how mature the team is. I don't really care. I mean, I had a brand new team uh, last week. And the numbers created, we did gut feel, and we went to numbers, and the numbers created this rich discussion. Mm-hmm. Now, it it validated the gut feel. But it created this rich – the other nice part about the rich discussion is this was a new team. It mm-hmm. was a hardware. So they had software engineers, hardware engineers, and this poor loan tester. Wow. And it was creating – and that was – they didn't have a smooth skill set ratio. Mm-hmm. So not only were the numbers uh, driving discussion, but it was discussion around – you know, the tester didn't have the bandwidth, right? Or this was a heavy test exercise versus a lightweight software versus heavyweight hardware, mm-hmm. which it, it, it teased out that cross-functional discussion, right? It made folks that would normally not talk, right? which is cool. Yeah. Again, brand new team, talk. Yeah. So, so, so the thing that I want to drive, and Bob's hit it hard, but I just want to say it again. Estimation, if it becomes about the numbers – then you know you have a trust problem. You have to figure that out. When you can't have the conversation, see the the freaking insidious part about it is then you can't have these honest conversations. Then mm-hmm. you then you fall back to padding, which right. I can which I can. Then, then we lie, right? We nod our little heads and smile, and say, "Yeah, it's we can do whatever you want," and then we pad, right? And right? then they know you're padding, so then they start subtracting. So and then doing it, it. then it creates this really dysfunctional game that happens. So it's you need to the trust is there to drive the honest. So maybe it's not just conversations. It's freaking honest, mm-hmm. open, <laughs> right? Confrontational, like crucial conversations around right. the work. That's what you want. So the trust, either high trust supports that mm-hmm. or low trust, you might as well, you might as well not even ever play planning poker. It's like get someone yeah. to send you a text message in the morning as they're driving in. And that's, that's going to be the quality level of the estimates. Yeah. So if, if you are a engineering manager or director or something, and you end up in your VP's office defending the numbers. Like, I've been in this situation. You and I both worked for a person that did this to everybody. We did do that. We did. And they Bless his little right. heart. And, and the team would go size stuff. <clears throat> they would work really hard. They would plan things out. They would be honest with each other. They would challenge each other. They would get it to what they felt were the right numbers. And then every one of those estimates <clears throat> had to be reviewed by the VP that hadn't written code in a half a decade. And he, he would argue people down on those sizings. So if you're in that situation, the trust is not there. 
and that and that came to me and he pushed back on me and I'm like, no, the team said it's a five. It's a five. Right. They do this work every day. You and I don't. So if they say it's a five, I'm going with a five. Um, and then that's how the team started to trust me that I had their back and they were more comfortable with their sizing. Cause at first it was a scary so ritual because they understood how things go of, Hey, yeah. we said this is 400 points of work, but it's going to come back mystically magically sometime later and we're going to be told we have to do those 400 points of work in half the time so I, i'm going to add trust and then also support mm-hmm. right so it's so you could you could trust the team right you could and they could right. know you trusted your team mm-hmm. but if you didn't support it upward if you didn't have the courage to support it upward right then that would create right so high trust you distrust organizational, mm-hmm. they're still going to pad. Right. Right. They're eventually going to detect it and say, Josh is a great guy, yeah. but, but we can't tell him the truth either. Right. right. He'll get the truth, but he won't. So, so it's trust, but, you know, sort of team support, right? You have to have the back of your team mm-hmm. as a leader. So right. I'll twist the leadership aspect in there. I think we nailed Paul's yeah, question I think so. right there. I'd like, And I like the way we sort of teased trust out, of, you know, sort of dovetailed it into the estimates. Um, did, was I overzealous with safe? Do you think? No, I I, not. no. And like I said, we've we've borrowed parts of safe. We've made it our own, but we've borrowed significant portions. of I like safe. the layering. So, yeah. so not getting caught up in safe. I, I think estimates. To Paul's point, it's not one side. So, look ahead is multi layered, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and and you just however many layers in the cake you have to decide. But it's probably right. not one in most organizations. So we talked in significant detail about three different layers. So we talked about at the sprint level, you and I were pretty consistent that about three sprints worth of work was the effective horizon where you start to get to waste. The next level, you and I were pretty different. So as we talked about the shippable increments. So like release chunks. Right. I talked about one quarter max. You talked about three quarters. I, I said two. I, I talked about we have to have the current in right. hand, mm-hmm. right, before we start. Then we at least start to have to look at the, the next one. Right. And in some organizations, the next one. It really depends on scale, scope, organizational mm-hmm. culture. You've worked in some smaller places where you right. can the look. You can, con- I think in the small, you can, con- you sh- can and should control the look ahead. Mm-hmm. I think in the large, there's just too many questions that people have. You can't right. just say, I'll figure it out. It's, so it's foggy out there may not resonate. So you have to, even though it may be the truth, it may be the truth, but you have to ex- try to extend the fog and manage and manage the, manage mm-hmm. the estimates. Right. They, they need more fog management. I mean, Salesforce does this, for example. They really are on an annual cadence and they'll mm-hmm. slip, they'll slip things right. as appropriate, but they have to, they have these lists. They'll have, you know, any Salesforce customer can sort of look at what what can I expect on a, on a seasonal release basis for the next year, mm-hmm. knowing that there's volatility. And that's actually from a customer. They know there's volatility, but they can sort of see where it's right. going. <clears throat> okay, so then the third level, which may be sliced into sub-levels, but we'll, we'll talk about it as one, we both agreed 12 to 18 months. Yep. And if you go beyond very high, that. Very yeah. high level. It's being wasteful. Uh, 
again, estimates are higher level as you go. The community discussing this stuff is more focused or more isolated. It's not team. Mm -hmm. So first level is team. Second level is maybe some leaders. Or Second level for me is team. Is team. Mm -hmm. But you still, at the dude, you had some pre-work and then team. Right. Pre-work and So right. it was blended is mm -hmm. what I'm saying. There, okay. was, there was a blending to it. You, so not everything at the second level was team focused. Even at the Most day. of it was. But not, but you still got yeah. in, you were in a room with Kevin for an hour and a half mm -hmm. sort of staging. So, so it was a little bit of blending there. So it really got down to the product owners having well ordered backlogs. So again, right. Before yep. they hand that yes, to the team. Exactly. So that's, right. that's all I'm saying. Mm -hmm. And then at that higher level, it's leadership, right. managers, product, mm -hmm. significant part of it, looking at the architects. Business. Architects. Right. Cool. Yep. That's it. Can we stick a fork in it? We can. All right. So from beautiful downtown, Raleigh, Cary, Durham, <laughs> Central, North Carolina, I'm Bob Galen. We are mobile. And I'm Josh Anderson. Shake. And bake. Take care, y'all.